With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Last week was Christmas. This week, it's a new year. And we've got a brand new episode of Keeping It in 94 for you guys. Episode 3, the first of 2021. What's up? Spencer Davies along with Brian Fritz. Can't wait to talk to you about all the things that have happened in the NBA this past week. Got a lot to address, including this very tumultuous season where we don't know what's going on because the standings are flipping, it seems, every day, and players seem to have these inconsistent performances, but we are enjoying what's going on because it is NBA basketball. Side note, we'd like to share, because Brian and I like to start out this podcast by sharing what's going on in our lives. Uh, want the good news or the bad news first, Brian? Oh, um, let's get the bad news out of the way. Bad news. Right before I was about to record this podcast and I had a bunch of positive vibes, I learned that the head coach of my Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski, has tested positive for COVID-19 along with two other coaches. Reason this is bad. It's been 18 years since my Cleveland Browns have been in the NFL playoffs. Now, it looks like they're not going to have their head coach for that first game. But let's look at the positive, Spencer. Your team made the playoffs. You should be in a great mood. Now, mind you, did you squeak into the playoffs by being the Pittsburgh Steelers who had their backup quarterback in there and they still almost beat you, but you guys stopped them with a two-point play late in the game and your quarterback had to run for a bunch of first downs to help secure that win? Yeah, but you know what? A win is a win is a win, and your team is in the postseason. I have my theory that Kevin was holding some cards to himself, so I'm not going to even go there. But yeah, they made the playoffs. I was jubilant. I I had a nice, you know, drink a Crown Royal right after that because it it was just a surreal moment. Like, I didn't know how to react. You could look at my Twitter. But... Well, the funny thing is you are jubilant. You are excited. You are elated that your team is going into the playoffs. Meanwhile, my team, the Chicago Bears, are also going into the playoffs, and I am upset and pissed off about it because as a Bears fan, I went into the season going, fire the GM, fire the coach, change the quarterback, and they did none of that. In fact, they went out and got Nick Foles, who's even worse than Mitch Trubisky, and despite having a six-game losing streak in the middle of the season, they somehow tripped their way into the playoffs, which means that the GM will be back, the head coach will be back, and even though his contract ends at the end of the season, I would not be surprised if Mitch Trubisky gets franchised and comes back next year to torture me because I want the Bears to burn it to the ground and rebuild, and somehow they keep, falling back ass backwards into just the slightest monicum of success to where they won't make any changes. If you can't tell, we're passionate about our football teams. Now you want the good news? Yes, absolutely. All right. Good news. Moved in my first place. Yes. I I think I've already said that on this podcast, but the, the, the new thing is 
The office is decorated. I got some brand new flooring, some laminate that is like that fake wood stuff. And uh, I'm realizing that I'm getting old because I got super excited over flooring. Who gets excited over flooring? I got excited over flooring. My wife and I bought a townhouse a couple of months ago. It had carpet throughout. And we said, no, no, no. We're getting flooring on the first floor. We got, you know, some uh, some of that uh, hardcore, really uh, quality laminate hardwood kind of mixture thing. And uh, we did it throughout the entire floor, including like bathroom, kitchen, like make it all the same thing rather than changing up the surface and putting tile in some place or whatever. And we were really excited about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just it's nice. It's homey. It looks I'm, great. And, I'm and- older than you. I'm allowed to get more excited about that stuff. <laughs> But I'm just excited, though, because like my space is quaint. So my living room is technically my man cave, like where usually it would be a basement for someone else. And I've got two TVs in there. I got my one big TV, my big sharp TV. I think it's about like 50 something inches. And then I have another one, an LG that's actually mounted right next to it. So that's where I watch my league pass games. Whereas on the sharp TV, I will have the Cavs because I pay attention to them more than any other team in the league, obviously. Uh, so without further ado, that's actually a good starting point. Uh, onto the, uh, le- the past week here, uh, what has stood out to you? Uh, we've got a couple storylines we can talk about, but for me, at least, um, I-, I think that we can, you know, hop right off and, and talk about the New York Knicks because uh, I'm watching these guys and, and I'm seeing Tibbs you know, vets and even young players like RJ Barrett, who who's looked outstanding in his second year, uh, really kind of gel early. They've definitely looked better, and I think we kind of wondered about the Knicks and where they were going to be, and this is a Knicks team that now has won, I believe they've won four of their last five, if I'm correct, and they've definitely looked better. I mean, I I thought they were going to be pretty awful, like most people, wondering what they were doing. Julius Randle has been killing it for them so far this season. Second in the league in minutes per game. He's almost, yeah, playing, he, he's almost playing 39 minutes a game right now. Right, but he's putting up 22 and 17, or uh, 22 and 11. He had 17 rebounds last night in their win. Um, You're not even would, pointing out the best stat. 7.4 assists a game for him. How does not that happen? To mention, not to mention, even though he went 0 for 5 last night, he's shooting 41% from deep. And when I look at the Knicks, too, not only are they playing better defense, but like Alec Burks has been a surprise. He's putting up almost 21 a game. You mentioned Barrett, who's playing better, but he he's still got to improve his shooting. I mean, dude shooting 40% from the field and, you know, 23.5% from three. But he's playing better. And, uh, I mean, the Knicks, I mean, say what you will on who they beat so far. They've, they've got some wins. And we'll see if they can keep this up. And we can talk about that even a little bit later in a thing we're going to do. But, um, hey, you know what? The last two wins are against teams, I think, that we believe are going to be quality. They beat the Hawks. They beat the Pacers. So kudos to Tibbs and the Knicks. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And I think I think both of those were on the road, if I'm not mistaken. They were. And, uh, and, they, and their other it, wins are against the Bucks and the Cavs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think uh, it goes without saying here uh, that, Austin Rivers entering the fray now that, that he's healthy. Um, I, I think he's looked really good. Uh, I think he's looked sharp. Um, you know, he, he's pretty much primarily being a scorer. He's that combo guard that he's always been. Um, but I think he's an excellent addition to this team. Um, and, and, you know, a guy like uh, Alec Burks, 
who, you know, like just seems to pop up out of nowhere at the beginning, you know, the early parts of seasons. He did it with the Warriors last year, uh, you know, on a team that was downtrodden. But this year, you know, on, on so far, what is a winning team uh, really, you know, contributing. And I've covered him before here when he was a part of the Cavs. And that dude's a flat out scorer, flat out scorer. Um, and, and, you know, his shooting's a little bit streaky, but he can get into the paint and really make it pay. Um, and, and, you know, in the, with those, those mid rangers, I think that he's, he's really solid and the Twitter darling right now seems to be rookie Emmanuel quickly. So, uh, you know, the Knicks got some things going for him. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, we're going to still kind of have to pump the brakes because it is like, you know, the first couple weeks of the season that this is happening as I kind of alluded to in the intro, it's, it's just so hard to get, get a, a feel for teams when, one week they're you know three and zero, and then the next they're zero and three. You know, it's just it's just this. That's the way things are happening right now. Like you know, like something I wanted to to get to as well was, you know, one team will do the blowing out, and then the next they'll get blown out. Like it, it's it's just everywhere right now, and you don't know you don't know what to take away from it. No, you don't, and then that's the thing. Like you said, I mean, there's so many different games where. And I'm sure the NBA can't be thrilled about this. And there's a variety of reasons why I think it's like this. But there's so many games that seem to get out of hand very quickly early on in the season. Even the Suns Clippers game the other night. I mean, the Clippers jumped out to what was it, a 20, 25 point lead only for the Suns to make a game of it by the end. But I mean, we we talked last week, you know, the Clippers were down by 50 in a game that they they lost by over 50. There's been a lot of different blowout games. The uh, the Warriors, as we're taping this on a, a Tuesday morning, the Warriors on Monday night, they won by, what was it, 30 points? Oh, it wasn't so, even close with Sacramento. So it wasn't even, even close. close. But there's been a lot of these games. Even the just, Portland game the night before, too, wasn't even really close. Right. So there, there's been some really nasty, ugly games early on. We haven't seen a lot of, I think, ultra-competitive games from that standpoint. And I don't know if it's... I, I think there's a variety of reasons from it. I think it's the shortened off season for a lot of teams. I think the definitely the shortened um, camps that they had before the season. Look at rookies. I mean, we, we already were thinking about this wasn't going to be a very good rookie uh, class. And then these rookies have almost no preseason. I mean, it's, it's very shortened. So they're already behind the eight ball there. Um, it's weird circumstances for the teams when it comes to traveling on the road, because it's not like, okay, we're on the road so I can go check out the city. It's like, no, you're on the road. That means, do not leave your hotel room. And when they're doing these road trips, I mean, you're playing back-to-backs, you know, or, or you're playing the same team twice in, you know, two, three nights. So, like, take, for example, like the Lakers. They're in Memphis. They played on Sunday night, and they're playing again tonight, okay? So they get into Memphis, say, on Saturday night, Sunday morning. They're going to go to their hotel room. They're going to stay in their hotel room. And the only time they're going to leave their hotel room quite honestly, is when they got to go to practice. If they even do that on the road, and you're probably not even practicing that much right now because of everything. So you go to the arena, you get your warm-ups, you play the game, and then afterwards, what do you do? Go back to your room. And that's what you do. I mean, so it's there, there's a mental and a physical aspect to what everybody's having to go through. We saw it in the bubble last year, but this is kind of a different thing that guys are going to have to adjust to. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it, you know, the, the, the scheduling part, I understand just because of the, the lack of travel and, you know, trying to, to get through a season as, you know, unscathed as possible. 
Uh, I am glad you brought that up, though, because we did get a big, you know, big uh, news drop yesterday, actually, with Kevin Durant. And this was a topic that we had, I believe, on either our first or second episode. Um, COVID protocols. Uh, Kevin Durant, mind you, has had the coronavirus before. He tested positive for it back in May. He got exposed to somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. According to Adrian Wardronowski, took three tests. All of them were negative. You know, KD's got the antibodies. But the NBA is not messing around. So he's got to have a seven-day quarantine until he can come back, at the very least. So he's going to miss four Nets games. And that right there, that's, you know, you never know how that affects seating at the end of the year. You never know, you know, the kind of impact that can have, especially when it's one of the two best players on your team. So this right here is, I think, a, I don't want to say a harbinger of things to come, uh, but the NBA did tighten up its rules on protocols again. I don't know if you saw that yesterday. Oh, yeah, I saw that where they're, they're telling everybody now, like, until you check into a game, if you're sitting on the sideline, you got to have a mask on. Uh, when you go out of the game, you got to put a mask on. When you come out for halftime, it's the same thing. Like when you are not playing, the mask goes on as you're sitting on the sideline. And as soon as the game is done, put a mask on until you go to the locker room. Or when you come out of the locker room, put, you know, put a mask on. So I know some people say, well, that's kind of trivial. And, you know, these guys are playing in the game. What's going to be the difference? It's, it's an abundance of caution by the NBA. And I think it, it's setting a precedent for a lot of different ways on how careful they want to be. And I think they also look at it for not only trying to take care of their players, but I, I look at it in a bigger picture thing when it comes to the NBA as well as saying, we want to be an example of what people should be doing in society right now. And, you know, science and doctors are telling us to wear masks. So we're going to make our players wear masks. Yeah. I mean, just look at what's happened to the NFL, what happened in the MLB. They don't want something, you know, tragic to, to, to come out of this. And not to mention, too, the, the Rockets had this happen at the beginning of the season. So I think that right there was just a telltale sign to Adam Silver and company to just be like, OK, we're not we're not effing around here. I, I wonder if that was like a, as bad as that was for the Rockets. I wonder if that was kind of a. Um kind of a good way, a good thing for the NBA to have to deal with that so quickly if they had to deal with it, just so they could immediately say, what are we going to do? How are we going to react to this? And then we can build off of that. Because otherwise, I mean, we knew that was going to happen at some point in the season. Yeah, it, it had to. I mean, it's, it's probably going to happen again. Pandemic. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no question. I The hope is that there's not an outbreak and that it happens via, you know, an outside contact, not within the locker room. That's that is the ultimate goal. And the, actually, the, you know, the primary goal and the, the only goal is that no one gets it. But that's just not realistic. Right. So we addressed the covid protocols, uh, but we did mention the blowouts earlier. I did want to get to this. Uh, the Golden State Warriors all of a sudden have won four out of five. Stephen Curry looks like Stephen Curry again after everyone was questioning him for a week. Idiots. So are you calling me an idiot? A little bit. Are you calling me an idiot? A little bit, a little bit, because, you know, he didn't have his full complement of talent around him. You look at what Draymond Green's done the last two games and how big of a difference he makes, no matter what it looks like in the box score. 
he like the announcers say on his on the uh the uh, home team broadcast is the heartbeat of this team and there's just things that change when he gets on the floor he's just telling james wiseman to get down in a t stance for example on defense uh you know i don't know if you saw yesterday but it was hilarious when he was coming up the floor he was directing traffic and jumping up and down trying to get guys to cut there was just all sorts of 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 these like intangible things that draymond makes a difference in and you look again you look at his stats and you see He's not playing well in it from a statistical standpoint, but the difference he makes just as a leader for that Warriors team. And I can attest to it because remember, I am in Cleveland and I have covered finals games with this guy on the floor. He just makes a difference. And there's just a different feel about this Golden State squad when Draymond's on the floor. And for some reason, it's like an elixir for Steph Curry to just go off when he sees his, his guy on the other end. And the crazy thing was, okay, so Steph goes off for the 62-point game. I and that was a joy to watch, by the way. It, it right. Was, it was classic Steph. And, and I don't want to say classic Steph because dude's still only like, what, 31, 32 years old? I will so, say this. I mean, I, I love Steph is probably my favorite player in the league to watch because of the things that he can do off the dribble and the way that he can shoot with almost no space for a guy that size, just that kind of skill level and what he can do. And I believe he had... 31 points in the first half of that game. So, I mean, he duplicated it. But if you look at the stat line, I mean, 62 points makes your eyes jump out right there alone. But if you look at the stats, 18 of 31 shooting. So it wasn't like a ridiculous amount of only, shots. Only only 31 shots. And the, the last person to do that, by the way, uh, this little nugget, I don't remember where it came from, but I know I saw it. Last person to do it with fewer, 32 or fewer field goal attempts was actually Kobe, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. He hits eight threes, but maybe the stat, for whatever reason, jumped out to me the most is he scored 62 points and he only played 36 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He only played 36 minutes. And that's if you three look quarters, at, that's three you, quarters. You, you look at his stats on the season. Now, mind you, when you score 62 points, it's going to skew your stat line when there's only a seven game sample. He's averaging 32 points on 33 minutes per game. He's not playing like 38, 39, 40 minutes a game. And that's something that you don't see many players really doing that. Like, uh, you know, the, there hasn't been a lot of games this year where you're seeing players come close to that uh, for the most part. The teams are being very careful with the minutes, um, especially for their stars, unless you're Julius Randle in the Knicks but, um, or, or the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, the, the Bucks are always careful with their numbers. But, I mean, there's, there's not many guys that are really going crazy with their minutes and to see that kind of production on that few minutes, uh, it's nuts. Yeah. And I mean, I think you also have to be careful just knowing Stephen Curry's injury history. Uh, you know, he's not the youngest guy anymore, but as we can see, he's still got plenty of game left. He's getting into the paint. I think that's also very important, uh, to see because you know, like he's someone that goes in there and, he doesn't get many foul calls. Um, I don't know why he really hasn't in his entire career. Um, but he gets in there and mixes it up with guys and, and he'll, he'll go into bodies and, and try to draw fouls. He's, he's averaging eight uh, free throw attempts per game, by the way, this year um, so far. So, I mean, but when it comes to the Warriors, though, I mean, we could sit here and, you know, Wiggins is still struggling from the field. Oubre is 
Hey, he, he, he hit a three last night and he blew a kiss to the, uh, he did the, the Sacramento bench. So Uber if, if he's got like, that, if he got that swagger back, he'll be all right. He's Uber struggling right now from the field because he's shooting below 35% and less than 17% from if you, threes. if you just tried to make a pun there, then I'm just going to end the podcast now. I thought I did not try. I thought I actually did. <laughs> <laughs> I said the same thing to the Duncan and Alex Kennedy. Our coworkers are basketballnews.com. Said the same thing to them on Twitter last night when I saw two puns and I said, we're not doing this all season. I'm not we're, doing this. Why not? Come on, man. I'm an, I'm, I'm a, I'm not a pun guy. Can I give you another it's one? Thing. As a wise man once said, do okay, not sleep on James Weissman because uh, okay. the rook is playing great so far. I mean, you look at a guy that, I mean, how many college games did you play in? One? whatever it was, you know, and he comes to the pros and we're all sitting going, you know, there's huge question marks about the entire class, but especially with him and he's coming in there and you can see his talent level that he has all over the place. Not, I mean, on both ends of the core and this, this guy is raw. He doesn't even know what he's doing out there right now, which, you know, that really plays into Draymond Green being a part of this team and that he can direct them. He can show him the way in like, to see this kid out there who doesn't know what the hell he's doing and he's already contributing in a major way for this team and to see just this, this ball of clay and you wonder what he's going to be molded into, you know, um, it's going to be fascinating to watch, but I mean, I, I've been incredibly impressed by him so far. And, and that's what I was referring to earlier. Draymond telling him to get down into a T stance. He, he, he was asked James Wiseman's difference between the two Blazers games that, the Warriors have played so far and the one he said he was playing a pick and roll defense but he was standing up so guys were getting past him this game he was in a t-stance he was he was you know getting in people's way he was using his length to force you know passes and and to really disrupt the flow of the offense that the Blazers had and that just one thing there again as a leader for Draymond to do that and for him to teach James these things one of the best defensive players in, you know, possibly NBA history to be in James Wiseman's ears. That is just amazing for his development. I think so, too. And I mean, you know, I, I wondered about what these rookies are going to look like this year, you know, and, and how much guys are going to contribute. And Wiseman was one of the guys I think everybody kind of wondered about, like, you know, are, are the Warriors going to how much are they going to use him and what can he actually do? You know, um, and so far he's been great in, I mean, the Warriors, they're four and three. We'll see if they can keep it up. Um, I still have a lot of question marks, as I'm sure a lot of other people do. But, um, I mean, I didn't know what this Warriors team was going to be like this year. I mean, the second that, that you use, lose Clay Thompson, you've got stuff back. You don't know what Draymond's health is going to be. You don't know what kind of player Wiseman's going to be. You know how everybody's going to fit. I mean, that, it's just question after question after question. And it's an early sample size, but I mean, they're, they're starting to play a lot better now that everybody's kind of getting their sea legs under them. Right. And uh, let's go to their opponent, the, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, you mentioned James Weissman, uh, Tyree Talburton. He's been, he's been down with an injury uh, the last few games. So they've started to, you know, kind of struggle a little bit and you know what struggle always leads to. It, it always leads to kind of some dissension. And we see Marvin Bagley's camp, I believe it was his family actually uh, go out on Twitter and demand a trade request for him. 
because he's not seeing, you know, action close to the end of games. Uh, but that's also because, you know, he hasn't produced in those situations. So he comes out last night. He looked really, he looked like it, w- it was really getting to him. It looked like the pressure was getting to him a little bit. Um, and then we go ahead and see De'Aaron Fox's father go out and say that, you know, the, that, that there's a trade necessary or there's, you know, we're not playing the same way we were playing before, um, you know, Halliburton or whatever, and, and that they miss him and that, you know, Bagley's not getting the job done, whatever it was. I, I, I just don't, I don't know where you stand on this and it's their business. I don't, don't start nothing. Okay. But it's just, I feel like when family, when friends, you know, try to leak these information and kind of, you know, cause a rift, it's just, it's not fair on the players. And I don't think they realize how it affects and has a ripple effect on everybody in that locker room. So I, I don't know if you saw the Marvin Bagley stuff. I don't know if you saw uh, Darren Fox's father get on there. I, th- I think there was uh, one, one more uh, on King's Twitter, uh, you know, maybe a parent or a sister or a brother, some other player on the team. I think it was Rashawn Holmes, maybe uh, Rashawn Holmes's family or something. But I just feel like this is not the place to do that. If, if you have these gripes, you do it actually in the front office, call the front office, get in touch with them but don't put out dirty laundry. I agree because things that things need to stay in the locker room and you don't want to get family members involved. You don't want to spill out the social media. Uh, I, I don't think it's fair to either player. I mean, you can, who knows what is going on behind the scenes, but I will say this family members. A lot of times are only going to hear one side of the conversation as well. So you don't know the whole thing. Now, maybe it's an accurate side, but you know, there, there is the element of there needs, this is part of a team and team chemistry. Family members are not there. They can be kind of on the periphery, but you know, there, there's a different thing that goes on in the locker room with the team. And if you've got problems, that's where it needs to be sorted out. You don't want this to get public. Then you definitely do not want family to get involved in this because then it just makes it so much messier and nastier. I mean, Look at the ball situation that we saw. And we all saw that coming from a mile away and what that's done, you know, to to Lonzo, especially when he came into the league. I mean, luckily, nothing like that so far has happened with LaMelo. But, I mean, you you don't need that kind of extra drama involved. And if there's problems in, in the locker room between De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley and the rest of the team, it needs to be sorted out that way. And if it's that big of a problem and they need to make a trade, then that's up for team management to take care of. But we don't need to hear about dirty laundry spilled all over social media. And of course, everybody eats it up. You, oh, you know, that, that, that drama, drama sells. Don't get me You know, like yeah. that people, we wouldn't be talking about this stuff if, if it wasn't out there. And it's but my Kings thing be is, Kings as well. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's oh, bad enough it's so, to happen to anybody, but to happen to the Sacramento Kings. This is Kang's central right here because you yeah. already had the, the buddy healed drama coming into the season. Um, you know, a lot of people were down on them, but they had a good start to the season. And Tyrese Halliburton was looking great alongside Deer and Fox. Deer and Fox looks great. Um, you know, even Harrison Barnes is playing a solid role. And they and they were they got off to a good start. But it literally took two weeks for this to come out. 
But my, but my thing is you have access to the front office. It's literally your family, your blood, your friend. I mean, literally, it takes one phone call to Monte McNair to say, hey, you know, you know what's going on here? Let's air this out. Let's let's talk about this instead of making it public and putting all that pressure on those players. Well, the other thing, too, if, if a player has a problem with it and he wants to make it public, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but then don't have your family do it for you, you know, or even, I mean, if you have that big of a problem, but sometimes, sometimes, so, sometimes, sometimes you, it's, sometimes it's out of their control though. It's not, it, it, it might not be their opinion. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes it puts them in an awkward spot. Well, well there, there's two things that one, a player could be complaining and voicing the complaints to a family member who then spills it on public or a family member can see stuff. That's not really happening and put it out there and put the pressure on everybody involved as well, because they're misreading the situation or they're speaking out when they shouldn't be, which, you know, I mean, I understand the frustrations that go into it. And especially when like Marvin Bagley's dad is out there, you know, talking about different things. I'm like, keep it to yourself. Do you, do you not realize what kind of story this is going to be? You know, do you, Look at the ramifications about this. Look what it's going to do, you know, to the organization, to the player, to everybody involved. Like sometimes you just got to shut your trap. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's just keep it in, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we all know about the perils of social media. Right. And, I mean, we, we see it time and time and time again in the NBA and every walk of life. And we, and we've seen this story before in the past. And again, I don't want to start anything. I don't, I'm not that guy. I, I, it's just something that irks me. I just, I just hate when dirty laundry is aired out for the, every, everybody in the world to see. Like, well, you I, missed I, out I then. Cause it. I, and I know that you probably saw some of this, but you being younger than me, when the Shaq and Kobe drama hit its peak, that was some of the most ridiculous things ever. Quite honestly. Just the things that came out of that. And that was really before even social media. Can yeah. you imagine if a situation got oh, man. bad in now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know what? That's, this is something that I didn't even think of, but, but let's bring it up. What is with Shaq going after Rudy Gobert? I don't know. I, Shaq likes to pick on different guys. He's going he shouldn't need House. to do this. He's a Hall of Famer. And Shaq's it's like, better what's, than his, this. what's his issue? What's his issue with someone getting paid? Well, I, I don't get it. I, I mean, is it because he sees that, there, you know, yeah, Rudy Gobert isn't the best offensive player, but he's one of the best defensive players in the entire league. He got paid. He wasn't a high draft pick. He was like number, you know, in the late 20s. I just don't see why you got to start something. I, I did. did like, we what, all what is it in Shaq's blood that wants to be like, I'm better than every big man that's ever lived, including in the new in the new era? Right. Now, I do like that competitive edge. Don't get me wrong. But when you get, I feel like this is a little personal. It definitely is. I mean, look at the stuff when it went after Dwight Howard. And mind you, they both played for the Orlando Magic and the LA Lakers. Okay. If, we all went after Dwight for years because of, number one, the personality, but also because of the, the person he wanted to become on the court and that he wasn't playing to his strengths, that he wanted to be some kind of offensive force or like, your offense comes from you playing defense, from getting offensive rebounds, from running up and down the court, from different things like that. You know, so play to your strengths. And Shaq went after him all after all of this. I'm like, so now you want to go after Rudy Gobert, who plays to his strengths? 
and you got paid. And by the way, if somebody's going to offer you that money, what are you going to say? No, I think you're overpaying me. Nobody does that. Well, I mean, Shaq is he's he's smarter than that. He's better than that. I mean, I hate the term, but he's a hater. He is a hater. He's I'm like, a hater. Dude, if he wants to, if he wants to gripe about people getting paychecks, I'm like, everywhere I look, I see Shaq pimping something out there, whether it's for the general or Papa John's or Icy Hot or whatever. I mean, slap the guy a fifth ski and it looks like he'll promote it. And I'm like, come on. I mean, that good for you if you want to do that. You know, somebody wants to pay you money to promote something, go for it, you know. But it's just like I don't understand why he wants to go after everybody and their game. I'm like, if you want to fairly critique it, fine. But he takes it too far, too many times. He does times, take it too far. I mean, like even I, I understand entertainment and inside the NBA is one of my favorite shows. Sure. I love, I love, I love how silly Charles Barkley is. I've got I, mentioned I, I love, on inside love, the NBA before. I love when him and Shaq get into it. It's great. It's perfect television. I love it. Uh, I know that Nikias, our, our coworker, I know he hates it because there's no actual value in basketball analysis on the show. But with with, with Shaq, I just I, I just don't get I, I don't get it. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to expand this further into a thought, but I'm, I'm just it, it just has yeah. me scratching my head, especially now that, you know, he's getting up there in age like this isn't this isn't you're, you're not you're not 25 anymore, man. No, like, he's not. like stop. Stop hating on the current generation. I think the big man is actually in a resurgence right now. You should be on their side. Like, I don't know if Shaq gets upset because every time we put out like these top 10 lists and Shaq's like on the edge of making the top 10, you know, he's when, when he probably thinks he should be like top five player of all time or something. I I don't know. Uh, I don't know what, what exactly. And he is, he was amazing. I remember watching him growing up. I'm not an idiot. I know how good he was. I know I that he could rip career. down a rim and break a backboard and just use his ass to just get position inside and dunk over everybody. I, I was know there. that. I was he there. doesn't need to tell me every day. I, I was in Orlando when, you know, he came on, you know, when they drafted him. I remember I was at that game, the infamous one, where you see the highlight of Shaq, like sliding down the court in a magic uniform, diving after a ball and whatever. I, I was at that game. I was at plenty of those games. You know, in fact, there, uh, for part of his career, you know, with the Magic, I was working for a sports radio team and a or station, and I was covering some of those games. And I definitely covered it when he came back with the Lakers. You know, so we, we we've seen this guy's career. I mean, <laughs> there's no doubting, you know, how dominant of a big man he was. But just be secure in your numbers. Yeah, I was going to say, don't be so fragile. Like you're. Literally one of the best of all time. Just stop. Okay, uh, Brian, let's go into this. Let, let, let's go maybe take a minute, maybe 90 seconds um, on is this who they are? So I yes. thought this was a good idea on, on your part. Uh, just, uh, you know, six teams, whether it's, it, it's good or bad um, that you have listed here. Uh, we've kind of already touched on the Nets last week, but I did want to go into this because they have lost four out of five. Um, I don't know if this is who they are. We know that it's not who Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are because they're very clutch. They have the clutch gene. You know that in the playoffs that they're going to deliver. Kevin Durant did miss two shots that potentially could have won or tied uh, things going into overtime. One against Washington. The other, I believe it was against Charlotte 
um, in the last four out of five games that they have lost, actually. Um, and the, the thing that's concerning he- me here most is not their score. They're going to score. Look at their team. But the defensive end of, the, of, of things is not looking pretty. They're in this, in this four out of five uh, little slump they're having here early season. They're giving up 120 a game. That's not going to cut it, boys. Not going to cut it. Um, you got to shore it up. I think that uh, Scott Hale, who is, you know, our, our, uh, our upper boss here, he made a great point. Who on that staff is a defensive specialist that's going to teach them that? You look, you look at who's on that staff. Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, Amari Stoudemire. Who, who's the defensive principles guy? They don't have one. And that's why when we were talking about going into the season that I truly wondered, and I know the Nets came out blazing in the first two games. Everybody's like, oh my God. But this is one of the questions that I, like some other people have had about this team going into it was, are they going to play enough defense? And we'll see how the season goes along, but like, they're not exactly wowing people with the defensive effort so far. And that's why I even wondered, like, could they finish as a top four team in, in the East? I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. I, I don't expect them to, to be, have that many problems, but I don't know what kind of moves they can make. And it, I think it's got to come internally. It's just got to be, everybody's got to play harder. Durant, I think is a good defensive player, obviously, but everybody else on that team, I'm, I'm sitting there going, I don't know. I mean, DeAndre Jordan starts when, he should not start. I mean, no, he's and only I've starting made this because point multiple times, multiple times. It was actually in my column. I, I, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a column. I said the Nets should should tread lightly and learn from the Clippers' mistakes. Right, you're one, year one, year one. You're this starting DeAndre Jordan because yes. he's he's friends with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. That's the and only I even reason I even why. said I even said DeAndre or Jordan. He's been there, done that. He's paid his dues. Don't right. get me wrong. He deserves playing time. He does. But when you have someone like Jarrett Allen, who consistently gets these double-doubles, protects the paint, has more leaping ability now because he's younger than DeAndre Jordan. You, you, you have somebody who can really be a disruptor, who can move laterally and, and guard pretty much one through five. As compared to this aging guy who is, is losing a step because... You know, that's what father time does. Again, DeAndre Jordan, you know, hell of a player uh, in his prime. But to be taking away playing time from a developing, I don't want to say star, but, you know, cusp of that, you know, edge of of good between good and all star, like a player like that who makes a significant difference. If you look at plus minus, if you look at, you know, the bench unit when he comes in and paces that um, along with usually who is Karis Levert. Those guys right there are who should be seeing, you know, at least probably 30 minutes a game. I totally agree. And I understand it's kind of a ceremonial thing that he starts, but I think it sets a bad precedent. And when you look at this team, you know, Karis Levert has been struggling early on the season. Uh, Torian Prince has been struggling early on. They've now lost Dinwiddie. We'll see how big of an effect that's going to have because, um, I mean, they're a deep team, but at the same time, it kind of hurts their substitution pattern and kind of their flow. It puts the ball probably in Kyrie Irving's hands a little bit more than it probably needs to be. But going back to the original thing, like 
the only people I think on this team that are really playing defense right now are Durant and, and Bruce Brown, who's not even getting any playing time. And he probably should be uh, getting some time considering that they don't play any deep. That's a good point. All right. Uh, we spent a little bit more than 90 seconds on that. Okay. So we'll, we'll, it's trial and error. Um, let's move on to the Boston Celtics. So they are winners of four out of five, actually, after a little bit of a shaky start. I, I wanted to bring this stat up because I loved it. Um, and it just, you know, further shows of, of what player development can do. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown became the first Celtics teammates to both score 200 plus points in the first game, eight games of the season since Larry Bird and Kevin McHale in 1986-87. So that's, I think, the story here. This past week, Jalen Brown had a career night. I think it was 42 points that he scored, uh, you know, filled the stat sheet in a win. Uh, and then right back at it, uh, it was Monday in Toronto that Jason Tatum dropped 40 in a game, and it was not even close uh, against the Raptors. So for me here, um, I I'm thinking that this team is in good shape. I think that, and I've said this before, but the, the move to go and get Tristan Thompson, uh, somebody who brings toughness and a, a defensive edge to him, uh, fits very well on this team and better than someone like Anis Cantor, who provides more uh, of a, you know, uh, a scrappy, uh, you, you know, offensive rebound cleanup guy, which Tristan can do, by the way. But Tristan hangs his head on the defensive end and his ability to switch again, one through five guard guys out in the perimeter, uh, you know, guys that that try to get into the paint. He, he's able to keep up with them with his lateral movement. Uh, you know, a move like that was huge. Uh, I, I did want to also point out someone like Peyton Pritchard, who a lot of people questioned at that spot where they took him in the first round. Uh, he comes out with a career high 23 yesterday, and he's been getting more and more minutes as the season's gone along. Looks like Brad Stevens really likes him. Uh, so, so they've got things, you know, kind of back on track. Now, again, we look at, you know, schedule and stuff. Uh, you know, the, the only two, you know, solid wins that they've had are, uh, you know, Indiana actually the only solid one they've had is honestly Indiana because they played a, a downtrodden Grizzlies team, uh, the, the Pistons twice. And then the, the Raptors who are really struggling, we'll get to them in a bit, but the, I, I think that they're definitely on the right track. I, I think, you know, just out of the gate, things were a little bit, you know, off, but you know, again, that happens that, that, that just happens. And I, I think that they're in a good spot. I, their depth kind of is a little bit eh, to me. Uh, but as long as that, you know, center position with Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice is held down, I think they can make up for it because there are just two dynamic talents with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They are, but I, I still have a lot of questions about this team because like you just said, they're, they're beating up on some bad teams and they got up to a slow start. Jalen Brown has played incredible so far. Uh Tatum. So much that so much that Perk uh, said that he was the best player in the team instead of Jason. Right, right. <laughs> and it only it only took a couple of weeks. Yes, and, and the thing is with, with Jason Tatum, what Tatum are we getting? Because remember, um, a couple of years ago, we didn't get to see Tatum that was attacking the rim. We got to see that a lot more last year. Where now that Kyrie Irving was gone and whatever else that was going on with that team, we saw that you know attack the rim get in the paint, Jason Tatum guy. And we're not seeing that again this year. It seems like he's settling a little bit more and 
I, I want to see if he's going to get back to that. But the other question that I have about this team is, especially with Kemba gone, and who knows what he's going to be like when he comes back is, outside of Brown and Tatum, where are you getting points on this team? Because you could sit there and there's plenty of other teams that have two superstars that are going to lead the way. But when I look at the Celtics specifically, like I don't know who else is scoring for this team. You know, no Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward. We all know the story about he's gone and they got nothing for him except for a trade exception. So I I need a bigger sample size than the Celtics to really get a better handle on this team because, yeah, they've won four or five, but they're not exactly beating the best of the best so far. No, they're and- not. They're not. And I, I just I guess I just trust Marcus Smart, a guy like that. Um, you know, Jeff Teague's been there, done that. And and as a backup, I feel like he's a really, you know, really solid there. But again, I'm looking at, you know, guys like Semi Ojale and, you know, rookie like Aaron Neesmith. I, I know that Brad Stevens really trusts Javante Green. Um, but you're rattling off names that haven't done it yet. And I'm sitting there going for offense. Yeah. Like, and, and we're not, we're not even bringing up the biggest point. Is that Kevin Walker's been out for a while? Right, but if Brown and Tatum have a bad night, who's picking up the slack on this team right now? Yeah, it's, that- it's going to have to be Marcus Smart. It, you know, it's going to be ha- have to be someone like a, a Shemi Ojale or perhaps even a Daniel Tice. That's or, or, tough, or, right there. That's and that's tough. and that's and that's again. I mean, you're depending on those guys or a rookie like Pritchard. Um, that's yeah, that's not a good thing. But how many times are we going to see an off night from? Either one of those two, you know, it, it will happen. One isn't going. Yeah, you know? it will happen, though. OK. All right. I see you. I see you. All right. Let's move on. Everyone wants to talk about this. And we already have a, a major podcast for this city, by the way. Dishes and Dimes. Um, that is a part of the Basketball News Podcast Network. All of your Raptors coverage. Go there. <laughs> Just listen to them. They will spit out every little detail. Um, and they're funny, so- too. The girls are cutting it up the other night. Oh, the they're Mon great. And Yasmin, they were they were having a good old time. Mon, Yasmin, Kelsey, the the whole crew. They're just they do such good work. So the Raptors. Uh, this one is a little tough for me because my main thing is I'm not looking at on the court. I'm looking at it off the court. I'm looking at guys that aren't home, guys that are essentially on leave. They're playing in Tampa Bay. They're not sleeping in their own bed. They're not seeing their families. They're not seeing their friends. Um, I I don't want to use it as an excuse, but it's something that you realistically have to look at um, to see where their heads are at. Sometimes they just look like they're not all there mentally. Uh, Probably doesn't help that Nick Nurse, even though he said that he has to do a better job coaching and putting them in better positions, probably doesn't help that Nick Nurse went out and called called out the, uh, the Raptor bench yesterday. Uh, you know, saying that he needs more from Malachi Flynn. He needs more from, you know, uh, you know, Alex Len and, and Boucher and Matt Thomas. He, he needs more out of those guys that are that are coming off the bench. Uh, we obviously know that Pascal Siakam is struggling. We know this. Uh, and it's kind of carried over from the bubble. You know, Fred Van Vliet looking fine. Kyle Lowry, probably again, you know, best or second best player on the team. Uh, but they're going to need more out of OG Ananobi. They're going to need more out of Norman Powell. You know, it looks like Aaron Baines is completely lost, but that's again, because he's in a new environment. He's, you know, he's not used to this team. We got to look at the fact that Toronto lost 
two big men that had great chemistry with the team over the last few years. And that's Serge Ibaka and that's Mark Gasol. You go ahead and replace them when they go elsewhere with Aaron Baines and Alex Len. It's going to take some time uh, to know where everyone's at on the floor. It's going to take some time for them to learn this, you know, culture. So that right there in itself is not helping, especially when you're coming out of the gate and you're just not playing up to your capacity. But again, I don't know if they're all there mentally right now uh, with these circumstances. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, Pascal Siakam has been struggling all year. He's been struggling since the bubble last year. There was a story out about how, you know, Pascal coming from another country is still always kind of adapted. You know, he had his set in his ways in Toronto. The bubble was very hard on him. Um, it was just him and his brother that were there together. And he's very big and having a support system. So once again, not being home, being in Tampa um, with his team on the road the entire season, basically, that has been a struggle for him. And for whatever reason, he has not been able to get back on track since the bubble. I mean, we saw a game the other night where he, he, he has walked off the court because of he got a foul. He got so upset, you know, and remember he got suspended for the next game by the team, but he has struggled mightily so far this year. And I think a lot of it for him is mental. Um, you know, you mentioned like the change when it comes to the roster, missing a couple of big guys. And I mean, you lose Gasol, uh, you lose your defensive anchor right there. I mean, Aaron Baines has not played up to what everybody thought he was going to play like so far this year. Um, so he's got to get on track as well. Um, Fred Van Vliet struggled to start the season, but he's been coming on lately. Lowry has played good, but they, I mean, it's amazing that a Nick Nurse team like this has struggled so much, but there are adjustments that they're going to have to try to make and, and find. He will, you know, Nurse will look anywhere and everywhere he can <laughs> to try to find that answer. But yeah. Some guys have just, they've got to find a way to play better. I will say um, this. It's easier this. said than done. Lone bright spot is Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher yes. has, has looked really solid. And, and actually, the, the irony is this is how Pascal Siakam got his opportunity, uh, really shining off the bench. And again, the bench isn't doing nearly enough, but a, a guy who has come in and really changed the game uh, again, very, very similarly to Pascal Siakam. It's almost like history is repeating itself, uh, but averaging about 13 and six a game, uh, really, really making a fuss uh, as, as a rim protector, averaging 2.2 blocks a game. Um, so a young talent that they might have to give some more playing time to if Pascal continues to, 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 to actively hurt the team. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't like saying it because he is such a talented, talented player, and we've seen it in the past. But when you're not doing your job and, and you can't seem to find it, that's just naturally what has to happen. It happened, like, for, for example, in Cleveland, um, before, before uh, Monday's game in Orlando, the, the last two games before that, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff played JaVale McGee more minutes than Andre Drummond because Andre Drummond wasn't playing up to par. So in the case of the Raptors, if that's happening with Pascal Siakam, he's turning the ball over. Uh, he's, he's, you know, really kind of lost, uh, like awareness wise, he's, he's fouling too much. You got to play Chris Boucher and Chris Boucher is the one that, that seems to have a good handle on things right now. Uh, and again, I'm 
we can't say that Pascal's not going to find it. We know how talented of a player he is, one most improved player a season ago. And, and he is a handle when he's in transition. But when it comes to this half-court offense stuff, he's just not there. Well, when it goes to the premise that we said, like, is this who they are? Okay. Is this who the Raptors are this season? I, I can't make that conclusion. I can't make that conclusion in this short amount of time. I can't. Because, uh, I, I mean, they're, I need they're, to they're, see more. It's they're one in five. Been six games. Give me 15. Give me 15, and, and I'll see if that is. That I mean, the, the thing that I would say about them is we probably do need that bigger sample size, but it's trending badly for them. It is. There's a, it there's is. a, there's, there's a lot of work to be done. They're going to they're gonna have to pick it up and quick. It's uh, going mean, to be hard. There's, there's always one or two teams. And they're, on the, they're, go, they're going on this four-game road trip, too, on the West Coast. Right. Like, that could, that could get away real quick. Yes, and th- there's always one or two surprise teams when it comes to how good they're going to be and how bad somebody might be, who's going to fall out of that top eight every year. And we might have our answer. Looks like he's already putting it in stone. Okay. I'm not putting so, anything in stone, but I'm like just saying, happening. man. Looks like it's happening. I, I might, I might be at the hardware store buying the bag of concrete, but I'm not pouring it and mixing it yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, Denver nuggets. So this one's interesting. This one's interesting to me. Um, you know, Javal Murray didn't get off to the greatest start, but start, you know, it looks like he's seeming to, to find that magic back from the bubble. Uh, they're two and four, but they are coming off of a blowout win in Minnesota. Not saying that that's a huge accomplishment, but offense at least looked like itself in that game. Uh, we know that Michael Porter Jr., uh, you know, is, is out here for a minute uh, with the COVID protocols. So, you know, guys like Gary Harris have to step in, uh, you know, Will Barton, ironically, who said he didn't want to come off the bench, started the season on the bench, and now he's back in the starting lineup because of Michael Porter. Uh, this team is interesting. Uh, you lose Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant is probably your best defender last year. He's probably the guy that you stick on the opposing team's best player and try to make it havoc on him. Uh, I'm not seeing that guy on this roster. I'm not. I'm not either. I mean, we could sit here and talk about the two stars when it comes to Murray and Jokic. And Jokic has played exceptionally well again. God, I love watching him play. Porter (laughs) is great on offense. He is a sieve on defense. He has got to pick it up because where are the answers defensively for this team? Gary Harris, he still isn't playing up to the level that we thought. Barton's been struggling a little bit as well. Um, it's got a lot of it's got to be on Porter. It just has to be. I mean, if he's going to take that next step, that's what he has to do. I mean, they need better defense, especially from their wing positions. And they, they have, so someone I think that could take that role is actually PJ Dozier. Um, you know, a a young, a young guy, he got some, some pretty significant minutes in the bubble, uh, last season with Will Barton, you know, obviously out with injury. Um, I, I think that could potentially be somebody who does take that role. I would love to see him play Bull Bull more. I really would. And I think the rest of NBA Twitter would too, because yes. obviously he's just fun to watch. But I, I just don't see why they're not giving him minutes. I don't. Um, I don't I, either, I, man. I mean, he's I mean, he's only broken into three games. He's only getting garbage time minutes so far. And I mean, do you want to throw him in the deep end of the pool? I mean, 
I don't know how much it's going to hurt if they put him in. I, there I don't want to see. I don't want to see Isaiah Hart, Hartstein out there. Yeah, I, I mean, don't. If, if he plays ten or fifteen minutes a game, and you see what you got with him, then sure, you know, give him a, give him a run for a week. Yeah, th- th- that's what I'm saying. Just give it a trial run. You gave it a trial run in the bubble, and you saw what happened. You yeah. look at what these videos and practice, and and how good he looks there. Just try it. Okay, Literally, so try it. But, but, it but to- I, I did, I did want to bring up one more thing too. Jermichael Green, you know, he's only played two games, but um, he, he's made a significant impact. He's not going to be your Jeremy Grant. He's not as quick. He's not as, you know, skinny per se. He's a bit, a bit of more of a thicker build, um, but he can knock down a three. He, he can make a huge difference. I, rem- I remember Jermichael's impact uh, with significant minutes in Memphis more than I do with the Clippers. And he was really good in Memphis. Uh, so give him a try. Um, you know, he, I, I like Jermichael's green greens game is basically what I'm saying. And he so, can crash the glass. Yeah. So if I throw out the premise again of, is this who they are two and four, I think we both agree that the nuggets are, are better than that. Okay. But in this way, way, way too early of a sample size, are, are they better than Portland? Are they better than golden state? Are they better than new Orleans? Are they better than Utah? Well, Portland's got Portland's got problems with its own right now. Uh, so uh, I think they're probably better than them. <laughs> well, the biggest uh, problem that Portland has again is injuries because Zach Collins again. Yeah, Zach can't stay healthy. Uh, and Dame's not playing that great, honestly. Um, but yeah, they're they're better than Portland. They're they're better than Sacramento. I don't no, know if they're, they're better. better than Utah, though, because, I mean... No, 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 no. That no, was no. the question last no. year, because, I mean, they beat... I mean, they, I mean, they beat Utah. Not when Utah, a, Utah's got uh, bogey back, too. No. Right. I, no, I, I, I mean, them. the only reason that, that Denver advanced in the playoffs over Utah is because of a Mike Conley miss, you know, three-pointer that went in and out, and we still don't even know how that ball didn't go down. I right. mean, otherwise, people would be... And then after that, Denver played pretty... You know, they lost to the Lakers, obviously, but I mean, they they came back and they beat the Clippers, and everybody's like, "Whoa, look at this Denver Nuggets team!" And Jamal Murray's playing out of his mind, and here we are again in the regular season where Murray's starting to pick up his game. Jokic is still the dominant guy he is, but you know they need other guys to step up, and so far they really haven't, especially defensively. And I think there's still a lot of questions about this this Denver team that that we rightfully have to have and that I think people are expecting them to take another step forward. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. I mean, again, losing Jeremy Grant, that's, that's, that's just a tough person to replace tough player to replace. Okay. uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm glad you included this one because I did want to talk about this. Uh, They're having fun. They're having a lot of fun. Tobias Harris, the reigning Eastern conference player of the week playing very well i know everyone razzes on that contract but it looks like under doc as he's been reunited with the guy who he had his best season under in la looks like he's played up to his his, his potential again and uh you know did you see what happened the other night too what's that ben simmons hit a three <laughs> and, and you know what else happened dwight oh yeah what was that dwight howard hit a three <laughs> <laughs> Dwight hit a three. Okay. I was watching the game against Charlotte uh, on Monday night and Dwight was a handle. He, he was a load to handle. My God. Uh, the Hornets had no answer for him. Like he was getting every offensive rebound, uh, you know, when a drawing team is all playing well fouls. Yeah. When, when a team is playing well and there's good energy, that's when Dwight plays his best because yeah. he captures the moment. 
He really does. He brings a certain vibe. When a team is playing bad, you don't want Dwight Howard anywhere near that because he will be a nuisance. But when teams when things are going good, Dwight Howard can that's when he plays his best. Yeah, no, I would I would have to agree with that. Um, but I'm just looking at the makeup of of this roster. And I'm looking at what Daryl Morey did to really accentuate the strengths of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, bringing in a, a guy like Seth Curry, bringing in a guy like Danny Green, you know, a shooter in the draft, uh, a scorer in the draft like Tyrese Maxey. Now you've got some spacing. Now you're allowing Ben Simmons to penetrate and kick or penetrate and draw fouls. Joel Embiid, you can put him on the block, you can stretch him out, but but mostly, I mean, we know this is one of the best big guys in the game. Him and Simmons, they can work together. They can. Uh, you know, you put Ben Simmons, you just have, the right, have to have the right sets. They are a nightmare in transition. Half court, yeah, it can get a little bit, you know, bogged down a little bit. But in transition, when they're creating turnovers and they're getting out on the break, hell, it is tough to stop them. It is. My and, God, it is tough to stop them. And Embiid, you know, Embiid, they're they're, you know, they're six and zero in games that he's played in so far this year. He's got a PER of almost twenty eight. The one so, loss was to the Cavs, by the way. Right. So I mean, they they. I mean, you look at the makeup of this team and how they've kind of worked it out and found the different roles with all the spacing. Remember, this is a team too that we were wondering about. You know, everybody's been high about Matisse Tybel. He's only playing eleven minutes per game. I mean, minutes are down for everybody. You know, I mean, Embiid and Simmons are playing 32, but in Harris's as well, but everybody else, you know, everybody's having their minutes being watched very carefully, but I think they found a rhythm and a spacing and a good rotation so far that that has worked. And that's why I think, you know, not to go deep on this, but everybody looks at a potential James Harden trade. Yeah. The Sixers make the most sense from the standpoint that it's probably the easiest way to make a trade, but. I think this is why the Sixers didn't just jump on that and said, let's see what we got first, because you see what they've got so far. And how many they're times fun. We- they're having fun. Joel Embiid even came out and said, he's like, I love passing the ball like this. Like, yeah. like you know, like it's just, a, there's a flow. There's a flow to the offense. And again, their defense is looking amazing. Their defensive rating is 99.8 right now. Right. So I, like, when I look at this team, and I sit there, you know, how many times have we said, like, especially last year, we, we've been teased by the Sixers for the last, you know, two years plus this year going, how good are they going to be? A couple of years ago, we thought they're going to be really, really good. And they were, and they got knocked out of the playoffs on uh, Kawhi Leonard three that dangled and bounced on the rim for a half hour before it dropped to knock them out. Uh, and then last year, we saw a team that had the roster changed and it just didn't work with the style ball, but people going into the season, people still had high hopes for them. And I think those hopes have been tempered a little bit going into this season because we've been teased by them so much, but they're starting to play that expectation because I think they've got the right makeup. I still think there's probably another move they need to make at some point in the season, but so far I don't think the six and one start is, um, is a joke. I think this really is reflective of how good of a team this is. And Danny green, we know he's going to get it going. I mean, he do we? He's shooting. He's, he's shooting thirty percent from beyond the arc. That's I, not I like Danny. Danny. I love not Danny. Danny is a great guy. He's a great character guy. He's a great team guy. Danny heard all these jokes with the Lakers last year, and Laker fans would defend this guy. 
through and through. But even in the playoffs, especially when he missed a wide open three that would have won a game, people, you know, gave it to Danny. And then going into this year, you know, he's hitting 30% of threes. He's always going to be a threat. It's just he needs to get that up to 35% or so. But um, it feels he, I feel bad for Danny because he is the butt end of a lot of jokes that are out there in social media. Uh, uh, yeah. And I mean, have your fun. Don't take it too far, obviously, as we remember from the finals. But um, Danny's going to get it going. And Fork on Cork Maz is going to get it going. They, these guys are not sub 30% three point shooters. They're not. They're not. They're 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 getting saved uh, from the perimeter by you know guys like Seth, who's Seth's shooting fifty four percent from deep on five attempts a game, and Tobias is shooting forty seven percent from deep on five attempts a game. We know these guys like Danny and Furkan are better shooters, so that that's that's gonna even get better, which is yeah. which is good for them because I mean again, like if they're winning the way they are right now, when those guys aren't shooting well, then that's that's great. If this great. team and, and they're getting better shots up. If they play this kind of a defense, if they continue to play like this and you get this kind of production out of Tobias, they are definitely going to challenge Milwaukee to be the top team in the East. So fair, 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 fair. Um, still not there yet, but uh, we'll keep an eye on that situation. Last one. Last one for is this. Actually, I got are. one other one, too, but we'll go. Let's do these real quick. OK, last one for is this who they are? Orlando Magic. So I just watched them play the Cavs uh, Monday night. They're going to play them again Wednesday uh, as a part of a you know two game series. The way that the NBA is doing things. Um, so they're downtrodden by injuries right now. They they've lost a lot of of wing depth, and I've actually got a feature coming up on BasketballNews.com on Gary Clark, uh, who is uh, one of their rotational pieces. Um, somebody who always stays ready. He's not always going to play the most minutes and, you know, make the most, uh, you know, productive numbers, but it's just someone they really like on their team, but they're missing James Ennis. They're missing Evan Fournier, who obviously is, uh, you know, one of their top scorers, obviously again, uh, Jonathan Isaac, we know he's out for the year, but, uh, Chumo Kiki, luckily, um, you know, nothing, you know, structurally wrong with the same knee that kept him out of his entire rookie season. But they've got other guys stepping up. We're looking at guys like Michael Carter-Williams playing defense. Uh, Cole Anthony, a rookie, coming off the bench and providing, uh, you, you know, at least uh, some spark. Uh, you look at the numbers and, and they look really bad. But, uh, you know, it's going to be streaky for a rookie like that. We went back to that point again. They didn't have a, you know, they didn't have a offseason. They didn't have a summer league. They didn't have really much of a training camp to work with. Um, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Kem Birch who came in and changed the game uh, against the Cavs on Monday. And, and somebody who I've always actually had my eye on because he's, he's quiet, like a, he's almost like a, mm, I, I don't know how to describe him. He, he does the dirty work. He'll go in there, he'll, he'll mix it up with the bigger bodies. He's not, you know, like this crazy scorer, but gets the job done, really crashes the glass, you know, defends the, 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 the paint. Ken Birch is someone I really like, uh, but you look at the more obvious guys, uh, you know, Vucevic, we know he's going to get his 20 and 10 a night. That's without question. We're, we're not, that's not even, you know, a discussion. Um, one of my favorite players in the league is uh, Terrence Ross. He comes off the bench and lights it up. 
he's averaging almost 21 a game right now. Right. Which, I mean, talk about a candidate for six man of the year already. Um, and then again, I think we mentioned it last week uh, with, with Nikias Duncan, but um, Markel Fultz really, really looking sharp. Really looking sharp. As He's a, struggling as a, a little bit shooting, but as a just, playmaker. Just as a playmaker. I, I don't care. You know, I could care less about the shooting, honestly. I'm, I'm watching him, you know, get the pace up. Really find his teammates. The athleticism still there. Saw a, a nasty dunk uh, driving down the middle of the lane. Uh, he had a nice, you know, between the legs pass to, to Nikola Vucevic in transition where Vuce hit a, a three. You know, like the, those types of plays. And the defense as well from Markel. Uh, I I'm really liking what I'm seeing. And I know people are going to look and say, Oh, he's shooting under 40% uh, on the season. You know, what are you talking about? But there's more aspects of the game to that. And, and then, and then you go ahead and look at someone like Aaron Gordon, uh, who has struggled mightily, mightily with his, his jump shot. And uh, offensively is pretty much as, as inconsistent as they come. And the, uh, the, the, the magic aren't the, you know, best offensive team they actually have the dead last effective field goal percentage in the league which is uh 49 by the way uh but aaron gordon comes out and hits i think it was five or six threes against the Cavs last night on eight attempts uh so you know you know they, they've got a solid makeup they play really good defense they're physical i like them i didn't think i, I thought they personally personally i thought they took a step back coming into the season so I don't want to, you know, draw some crazy conclusion here. They're five and two. They, they, they dropped two straight at home to the Sixers and the, the Thunder, then bounce back with that win against the Cavs. We'll see how they, you know, fare in Wednesday and that rematch against Cleveland. But uh, I, I, I don't want to buy in quite yet. I'm not going to buy in yet because, like you said, they're banged up. Um, I don't think they have much depth on this team. I look at who they've beaten so far. They beat up on a horrible defensive team in Washington twice. They beat the Thunder and they beat the Cavs. And I mean, they did beat the Heat on opening night. I'll give them credit for that, obviously, but there's still way too many questions about this team. I think we're going to know a lot more about them coming up here in the next three weeks. They've got a stretch where they play eight of nine on the road. And I mean, they go to Dallas, Milwaukee. They play a back-to-back in Boston. They play Brooklyn. Um, I think that's where the schedule is going to catch up with this team. And they've been a nice story so far, but I just I don't see the magic keeping up with this. And I see I see them dropping back pretty quickly here. Okay. Uh, what's the thing that you wanted to address? Well, th- there was one other team that I, I should have put on the list that we could mention really quickly. And I wanted to mention them too, not only because of the record, but because of there's a nice article that uh, Nikias Duncan wrote that's on the front page right now at basketballnews.com, and that is the Phoenix Suns, who are tied for the best record in the Western Conference, the Lakers and Clippers. The Suns are off to a 5-2 and two start. They're playing great defensively, and there, there was a team that a lot of people were talking about before the season, but it was one of those, okay, we think they're going to make the playoffs, but you know it's going to be like 6-7-8. There was a couple people that maybe you know went out on a limb and said, no, 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 I think they could be in the running for, for home court advantage. And if you read Nikias's article and how deep he talks about their defense and their offensive production they're getting so far, um, you know, he will be one of those people that say, This is who they are. And I think they're gonna be a team that's gonna be hosting 
uh, you know, playoff games in the first round. And Monty Williams is a hell of a coach. First, he is. We know we know this. Um, we we see what happened in in the bubble was uh, you know a testament uh, of the kind of leadership that he brings to the table. Um, again, I know that I'm a broken record with this. I just I just can't get there. I can't I can't, I can't get there with a lot of these teams. I can't get there because it's just too short. It's too short. That's why I want to put you on the spot and play this game early. That way we can look like dumbasses. (laughs) (laughs) What I will say, what I will say, uh, the player that is standing out the most to me on this team is Michael Bridges. Um, His defense has been fantastic. Outstanding defender, really improving that three-point shot. Um, You know, really playing a solid complementary role to guys like Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Uh, Defensively, I think this is what Nikias wrote about Bridges and DeAndre Ayton defending pick and roll situations are allowing, I think, 0.7 points per possession, which is the best in the league. And, and that right there, that havoc, that length, trying to get around guys like that in a, a normal pick and roll situation. Good luck. I mean, they're towers. Uh, Michael with his arms and obviously DeAndre with not only his arms, but his his height. Uh, so those are, are, are two guys that, that really defensively ha- have stepped up um, bridges, obviously on both ends, but Deandre, we could talk about a little bit more, um, you know, as far as his shot selection and, and you know, this, the, the type of efforts he brings on a nightly basis. But I, I mean, you know, I, I'm looking, I'm, I'm personally looking at a guy like Cameron Payne. I, I love what I'm seeing from campaign. So Cam's actually someone who was in Cleveland on a couple of 10 days. And I think this was when he first started showing that he was healthy. He came out and, 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 you know, knocked down all kinds of threes, made some clutch shots. I'm looking at him off the sun's bench right now. And I'm like, this dude needs more playing time. And I know it's tough to do when you have Chris Paul ahead of you, but I, I'm just looking at, at Cam and I'm like, maybe place a, you know, some two guard, three guard sets. Um, really a nice job of, of improving his jump shot. He's shooting 47% from deep, but it's, it's getting and knifing into the paint. He's clearly not afraid uh, to, to take contact and to get those floaters off inside. Um, you know, he's good at finding his teammates. He, he's a good solid backup. And, and I think that that right there uh, again, stems over from the bubble. Uh, I, I look at somebody like Jay Crowder, a veteran, that really complements this, this nucleus of young talent. Uh, you can see that the Heat definitely miss him. You can see that the Heat definitely miss him. Um, Absolutely. I mean, you look and, and at Jay the- doesn't need to do that much on this squad. There's that was- plenty of, of room for everyone to score. He just needs to go out there and play, you know, three and D uh, type of ball. And that was the guy that I was going to point out. Jay Crowder has really stood out with his contribution to this team. And they're, they're getting a lot of uh, a, a lot of good stuff from a lot of different players right now down the line. You know, we mentioned the, the defense with Bridges, but Cameron Johnson, Dario Surge, Cameron Payne, um, they bought in to what Monty Williams is doing. I think Sarge off the bench, group. I like a lot. Because yeah. he's, he's somebody who wasn't meant to play, you know, 25 minutes a game. He's someone that could come in, knock down some threes, you know, put him on the block. He can go to work. You know, defensively, he's not that great. But it, at the same time, like... It, when you change up guys' roles to 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 fit their strengths and the the uh, 
appropriate allotted amount of time, guys can show you they can play in the right system. And yeah. I think another thing about this Phoenix team that I, I haven't heard anybody much talk about, they haven't had a significant injury yet and have had the same starting lineup for seven games. That's the thing I think that that's, that's the only thing like with so many other teams that I think can take them down is if they do have a major injury, but which knock on wood for them, by the way, sorry, exactly. But I mean, when I look at that, that team right now, and I say, is this who they are? That's a team that as early of a sample size we have, I'm really starting to buy into saying, I, I think they are, I really think they could be that good. And they've gotten good quality wins so far. You know, they, they beat in Dallas, they beat in Utah, they beat New Orleans, they beat Denver. Almost um, beat the Clippers in a in a thirty point comeback. Right. You know, so like, I mean, you know, give them all the credit in the world. And I mean, I like what we've seen so far. And and, uh, and my favorite thing too here about this about Devin Booker's stats is that you know you usually will see like twenty seven, twenty eight a game for for him with the Suns because he was the only one who could do things. Now you're seeing a little bit of a spread here. You're seeing a little bit of a spread. Seven guys are averaging double digits in points per game. Devin's averaging 21 points a game, which is probably honestly a, a low for him since probably his rookie year. Right. I, I'm not looking at the stats right now, but uh, I've got but his numbers he's, right he's here, dishing I mean, out four assists. He's, di- yeah. you know, he's snagging four rebounds, averaging a steal a game. That right there is proving to me that Devin Booker is making an impact other than with his scoring. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the thing that we want to see from him is we know that the guy can put the, the ball in the hoop. Can he do the other things? You know, can he, can he defend? Can he, you know, improve, you know, ball movement? Can he rebound? Um, can he cut down on turnovers? Things like that. So, you know, I, I think they've really bought in to what Monty has done so far on that team. And uh, I like what I see. And um, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to contend for one of the top two spots in the West, but I mean, I think they're a team we have to look at possibly being in that four, five, six range, you know, at the worst. That's more realistic to me than the top three. Yeah way more realistic. I, I had them in the beginning of the season, probably at about a six. Okay. But that might be a little low. It might be a little low. Yeah. Uh, did you let, let's go through this list of injuries and then we'll get, get ourselves out of here. Uh, and, and we'll just, we'll just talk about which one's the most significant. Uh, unfortunately in the past week, we saw John Morant go down, actually had to be wheeled back to the locker room. Uh, but luckily only a sprain of his ankle but he's going to be out for about a month, maybe more. Uh, sucks to see Spencer Dinwiddie go down uh, with a torn ACL, uh, but he's already begun his rehab. Saw him in the in the weight room, so that's good. Uh, big piece here for the Pacers, even though they've been fine and they've been wanting and they inexplicably won a game in New Orleans uh, on Monday night uh, when they were down six points with like 20 seconds left. Um, but TJ Warren, he's going to be out for a good chunk of the season uh, after he uh, fractured uh, his left foot. So that sucks because we saw what TJ Warren did in the bubble. Uh, the Hawks already uh, dealing with injury with Danilo Gallinari, one of their top signings. Uh, he's got an ankle sprain. And then, of course, uh, the Spurs, one of the, the, the upcoming young talents that they have, uh, one of their best defenders as well, uh, Derek, Derek White. Uh, ended up fracturing his toe. So DeJounte Murray is going to really have to step up uh, twofold for them and Keldon Johnson, which we've already seen. Uh, but, but out of those, out of those five, uh, what's the most significant to you? 
TJ Warren, I think for the the scoring that he brings the Pacers and the help, the balance that he brings that team, I think they're really going to miss that right now. Um, I mean, they're just going to, I mean, they're going to have to get more out of Oladipo, who's been playing well so far this season. And Sabonis, you know, he's been a rock. Um, but I, I think the TJ Warren, that one could, we, I think you have to watch the Pacers very closely because they've, they've come out, they played good ball early on, but there's been so many questions going into the season about them. And that that's an injury that can really, you know, change the tide for a team. want you to watch out for a name. Uh, you know, Miles Turner's played really good, by the way. Uh, but watch out for a name because I, I watched him against the Cavs and I've never seen him used like this since probably college. Doug McDermott. Watch Doug McDermott um, to, to fill in a scoring role like that off the bench. Dougie uh, McDee he, with his new contract that uh, got screwed up to where he ended up getting... Well, I'm sorry. No, that, that, that's true. That's that's Milwaukee. What am I thinking? But but Dougie <laughs> Doug, McFresh. Dougie McBuckets. Yeah, okay, watch out for him. And then uh, Justin Holiday is another person that can definitely... Uh, just temporarily uh, be that guy to to be that you know yeah you know third third fourth score whatever it may be yeah so, absolutely um for me it's John Morant uh, for obvious reasons uh, Memphis despite some really solid play out of Kyle Anderson who is I haven't seen Kyle Anderson have this kind of usage rate his entire career I mean he's he's really just putting up. He's putting up numbers, man. Um, you know, the three-point shot, you know, is streaky, obviously, because he's not that great of a shooter. But just the fact that, you know, he's getting into the paint and, and scoring, uh, you know, he's doubled his his two-point attempts. And uh, he's, he's really, you know, facilitating, grabbing boards, uh, you know, getting his teammates involved. All that's great. Um, but for me... John Morant being out for a month is really going to hurt their chances of getting into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, think, it's a month. It's a month. A right. month is a lot. When you uh, look I, at that I, entire list of people, I, th- I think, and I probably should have mentioned Morant, but I mean, to me, yeah, he is probably the most obvious one because he is going to be the difference between this team having a chance to make the playoffs and not and missing a whole month, at least a month. And it might be a little bit more depending on you know how well he recovers. I mean, that, that, that could totally tank the team. I mean, you look at what this team is going to be and people wondered if this could be a year that they take a leap forward. I kind of wondered about that even before the season with a healthy John Morant, but you know, with them missing Morant, the missing uh, Jackson, I, I think it's going to be another team or another year where they don't make the playoffs, but they're also going to be going into a draft that is going to be heralded as what is potentially going to be one of the best drafts of the decade. And you get another young piece or something you could do with that, then I think it's going to be another year for the uh, let's see what the Grizz can do. I hate seeing Jaron Jackson out. I love Jaron Jackson. Justice Winslow, another huge part of, of what they could potentially be. Uh, maybe if they get them back, they'll write the ship. Um, you know, I, I like a guy like Tyus Jones. I think he's been able to, to fill in really, you know, admirably. But they play uh, hard, to- but there's only so much scrappiness can do. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, another lone bright spot for them, though, uh, Desmond Bain, the rookie, coming off the bench, uh, really providing a spark. Uh, and, and he just has the right build to, to, to be an NBA player. Yeah. Um, but in your fantasy leagues, make sure you go and d- uh, pick up Dylan Brooks because he might be putting up 20 shots a game. He's, yeah, he he's, already at, he's already at 17. He's already at 17, ladies and gentlemen. So um, 
but I, I think uh, that's good, Brian. We, we've addressed a lot. Uh, I do have to go and do some crying in the corner uh, because of what happened to my beloved Browns. Um, all seriousness, hope Kevin Stefanski and the, the players who tested positive are okay. Um, as a Browns fan, this sucks. Hopefully we can take down the Steelers. Um, and I'll go cry in the corner because I know that this coming weekend, <laughs> I will have to watch Mitch Trubisky and Matt Nagy um, and the Bears get beaten by the Saints in New Orleans. <laughs> and that's a good way to wrap it up. Uh, just a reminder, guys, we are a part of the basketballnews.com podcast network. We have a ton for you to listen to. Neat and Unfiltered with Kenyon Martin. The Posecast with James Posey, Dishes and Dimes, we already mentioned, uh, coming out of Toronto, uh, talking about the Raptors all the time. The rematch with Eton Thomas, Alex Kennedy podcast, Alex Kennedy with a bunch of great guests like players, coaches, and GMs. Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan, and of course, the follow-through with Clips and Drew. Again, make sure you go and visit basketballnews.com. Nikias Duncan, an excellent breakdown on the Phoenix Suns, why it's not too early to be excited about them. We've got tweets of the day going up every single weekday. Thanks to Kelsey O'Brien. She just did an amazing feature on Cody Demp's part of the G League Ignite. Uh, so make sure you go and check that out. And of course, you can check us out. And we're a part of all of your listening platforms over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, rate us, and we'll see you soon again next week for episode four. Take it easy.